Let's, uh, let's pray and let's go, and then we'll see what happens next, okay? Don't, don't rush, don't rush. Life's good. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. So you might recognize that as the Jesus prayer. At some point we'll talk about that, but in the Orthodox tradition, you start 10,000 times a day and work up from there. But we're not quite there yet, so uh, we'll see what happens. Thanks for coming out. Uh, I know this is inconvenient, but what I found is you're all accomplished and busy, and your schedules are full. So what I found is there's actually no convenient time. This has been taught evenings and mornings and weekdays and weekends. So we'll do our best to gather you when we can. This will always be recorded, and uh, the person who puts them up is extraordinarily efficient. Often they're up same day. I don't think they will be today, but uh, you should know that you can catch up. But you also know being here is the best part. And so uh, this first bit, I know I asked you to be here at 8.30. Of course, now if you're clever with your time, you'll say, huh, he didn't start till 8.45, so you're going to roll in next week at 8.44. But the trouble with that, of course, is that we start to think about our time together as a data dump. And this is anything but that. Uh, in fact, it's one of the great lessons I've learned over time. Zeller, can you help me? One of the great lessons I've learned over time is that you need each other. And very often, uh, coming to a new place is defined as a data dump, but we want to avoid that at all costs. My poor grandmother uh, was the only kid in her confirmation class in Iowa on a hot August afternoon, sat in front of the whole congregation, and before she could take the Holy Supper, she had to answer all 432 questions posed to her from the catechism in German. Then she was ready, right? Yeah, I mean, that, Jesus doesn't know anything about that. So, uh, you know, this isn't a data dump, and partly the reason we have breakfast for you, and we hope that you'll come early and get to know each other, is this is a big place, and we need to try to make it feel like a small place. And so even here, if you can begin to make friends, and it's very kind that there are several members who have come around this morning, uh, it's, you know, get to know people. It'll, it'll be good for you. But please, um, if you can come around 8.30, you know, we'll goof around for 15 minutes or so, but then we'll get going. And maybe we'll go 45 minutes, maybe an hour, depending on your stamina, and we'll, we'll uh, see what happens from then. Uh, there's a couple of things on your table. My business card is there primarily because it would be great if you would... Thanks, friend. It would be great if you would shoot a selfie and send it to my email, along with your kids, if you can. And this is simply because the pastors and other people on the staff, but especially the pastors, want to learn your names and your kids' names. It makes a difference if we can greet you and your kids by name. So if you can do that for us, that would be, that'd be really, really nice. Some of you have done it already. We're grateful for that. Then, of course, uh, the great mystery of what you're doing here. And I know there's a wide variety of folks here. And... You know, I, sh I probably have some explaining to do. Um, Martin Franzman once said, he's a great hymn writer, he's a great theologian, uh, the last generation in the church, said, every person who comes through the door is a miracle. And that's how we think about you. In fact, more and more, now that the church has lost status and is even somewhat demeaned, for you to walk through the door is, is quite a remarkable thing. And so thanks for that. Uh, so that's the first thing. We just want to be respectful of that. And this is actually among the best things I get to do. I'm very happy to do the catechumenate. Um, this, for me, is as much fun as anything else I get to do with the church, short of going to the Eucharist. So uh, you're wonderful, and we're glad you're here. But I don't know what I'm getting, and you don't know what you're getting, right? So there are churches that you can join in an hour over coffee, and then there are churches like ours where we're going to go till Easter with breaks. And uh, if someone comes to me and says, oh, I want to join your church, and I know that they've been to a church or I don't, that, where they only took an hour to join, or they maybe didn't do anything to join, that's a very odd situation for me in terms of being a pastor. So I don't know what I'm getting in you, and you actually don't know what you're getting in me or in the other pastors. So a lot of this is just about 
transparency, kind of telling the truth, explaining ourselves. And the same for you. And basically, we're going we're gonna to date before we kiss. You know, you, let's, let's figure out whether you actually like us, and let's figure out whether we actually like you. Let's just try to figure it out. So somebody wrote me yesterday and said, you know, is this a, what's the press level in terms of conversion? And my answer is zero. Okay? I mean, that you showed up this morning probably means you know something about the little baby Jesus, and that's good. But you're not going to get any press from us to join. In fact, we have more members than we could ever use. We're actually not interested in any more members. However, we're extraordinarily interested in people being disciples of Jesus. We're extraordinarily interested in that. Now begins the full disclosure. So I wasn't really kidding that much about saying the Jesus prayer 10,000 times a day. At some point, we're going to ask you to pray and pray hard, knowing that that's perhaps the most difficult work of a Christian. So, you know, at some point. Or um, there's really positive things about this congregation. Um, There's zero gossip in this congregation. Uh, When I came, it was a congregation that was run on gossip, as so many congregations are. So actually, you know, if you're going to be here, then we're going to say, yeah, that's not how we play kind of face-to-face if anything goes wrong and uh, kind of tell the truth and we'll try to work it out and step over problems and, you know, try not to give offense or take offense. Or at some point I'm going to say to you, um, we've all agreed to tithe, which actually means 10%, even though, you know, people dumb it down to 1% or half a percent or 2% or I'm free in the gospel, whatever in the world that means. So, uh, you know, you kind of go... Which is kind of a shocker. I mean, if I, if I say to you, you should start planning now to give 10% of your gross income to St. John, um, this is normally where people begin to move out for another sprinkled donut, and then they don't come back. And, and I understand. I understand when that happens. Uh, but uh, it's a simple reason. The church doesn't work if you don't. Every church I know, almost every church I know, runs like a bankruptcy. Uh, schools too, right? And why is that? Because we're misers, and we, nobody ever taught us. So that brings us back to the other thing that about why we go so long, which is you wouldn't be here if you didn't have some natural interest, or you wouldn't be here if you didn't have a restless heart, or you wouldn't be here if you didn't think that Jesus has something to offer you. But there's no other venue in your life where you go through life with a 7th or 8th grade education, which is what happens for most Lutherans. You know, sometimes if you came up Catholic or maybe in a non-denominational church or someplace else, you might have even had less. You know, the last time you got a good, strong dose of somebody teaching you about Jesus, maybe 3rd or 4th grade, there's no other venue in the world where you'd say the math that I learned in 8th grade or the grammar, right, or the physics. There's no other venue in the world where you would say that. And yet in the church, people kind of go, I went to confirmation. I'm like, yeah, you were like every other kid in confirmation. You were looking at the girl next to you and throwing spitballs at your friend. You didn't do your memory work. Yeah, I know what happens in confirmation. I've taught confirmation, right? So I don't want you to go through the rest of your life disadvantaged. In fact, um, part, of the, part of the idea here is to release you into you know, a life that maybe you don't even know exists. And part of the reason for you to meet other members who have been here a long time and sort of bought into this is you begin to see it in them. Uh, The people who are here are remarkable people. I mean, this is the church I always wanted to belong to. It's fabulous. I have um, my own frustrations with people. You'll have your frustrations with me. Um, Just to get it out of the way, um, I'm going to disappoint you, but hopefully not tragically. So if, when I do, you can come and let me know because I've probably heard it before because I've probably done it before. But, um, you know, what we want to do is create this place where in all the world, when everything else is crazy, you can come here and be part of a community that loves you and forgives you and supports you and takes care of you and nourishes you with things that are otherworldly. And that takes some doing. Because, of course, uh, you know, the great line in screw tape letters where, you know, the old devil says to the young devil, the surest way to damn a person is to leave them alone. They wake up one morning in hell and they wonder what happened, right? 
So um, the unfortunate consequence of you being here this morning is that your life will get worse. You've um, drawn the attention of powers and principalities. And so you can expect any sort of entanglement or pressure or even difficulty. Uh, that's part of the game. At some point, you just have to say to yourself, well, um, I'd rather struggle through to what's true and honorable and eternal and salvific rather than sort of muddling through what is disappointing and material and worldly and ultimately goes to ash. And that's part of uh, what's, what's happening here. So this is going to be you know, some sort of gradual figuring it out together. Um, there's a prompt on the table. You can ask anything anytime you want, and you can interrupt me anytime you want. Um, without swearing, preferably so early in the morning. But, you know, uh, you, you actually can, you can ask anything you want. Because I know where I'm going, and I know how to get there. And if we end up going through Cleveland rather than Miami, that's going to be okay. We're going we're gonna to make it, okay? So that's just the general, I know that this is um, a little more than most places would ask. But I should also say to you, yeah, people always ask me if it's required in the way that people ask me when they're getting married, do we have to go to counseling? Which I'm like, uh, is there anything harder than being married, trying not to look at you, uh, right? You're kind of like, if you're going to get married, you should have all the tools available to you, right? <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to look down now and not, I don't want to know too much too soon, but... Uh, you know, you should, in the same way, if you're going to be a Christian, you should have all the tools available to you. Now, the good news is, is if it works, right, if you get to know each other and if you get your questions answered and if you, you know, sort of trim back your vices and you let your virtues run, um, if you meet people who are like you and you can look up to some people who are 20 years older and have gotten it right and They've gotten it right even though they've suffered desperately or their families have made mistakes or they've done horrible things and they're still here, then you'll say, ah, that's a life worth living and those are needs worth having. So that's kind of the, kind of the broad sense of why you ended up here, even if you're, you know, I know some of you have been in the Missouri Center forever. I know this, like, this isn't how business is done. I get that, but that's how business is done here. And the proof is that it works, right? The proof is that it works. And all the heavy lifting in this congregation is done here and then on Sunday mornings. The heavy lifting is not done in, in voters' meetings. The heavy lifting is not done over coffee. The heavy lifting is not done in meetings after meetings. All the heavy lifting is done in Bible study here. And that's why uh, there's a Bible study taught by a pastor almost every day. So Sunday, there's three taught. Monday, we're dark like Broadway. You know, Tuesday, no, but Wednesday morning, you know, or I mean, Wednesday you know, er, uh, morning, Thursday, early, early morning, Friday morning, and then Saturday. Every day, a pastor is teaching a Bible study here because, because it's not a data dump. It's because we're trying to uh, create a relationship with you. And hopefully, then when you need us, you'll be able to find us. Make sense? Just questions about any of that? So I know that's always, that's the most common question I get when, uh, when new people, especially Missouri Senate people, are coming. Now, if you can get Schlesselman to give one of those, he's getting older. He'll get creaky. If he doesn't get up and move, things begin to tighten up a little bit. So these are two elders, Dave Schlesselman and Aaron Zeller, uh, both as good as it gets. So it's nice that they've come around. So it depends whether you want, you know, it depends which genera general, general, generational advice you need. It will be depending on who you, who you ask. Um, you want it from your father or your brother, your choice, okay? All right. So here's the thing. This is all pretty simple. This is all pretty simple. And they're giving you things that are as simple as this. For me, you know, if you can't say it in... Um, you know, five words or less, you don't know what you're talking about, especially for pastors. If you can't say it in five words or less, or, you know, the great physicist Richard Feynman, uh, who won the Nobel Prize, and, you know, you know he, he would say, uh, the mark of real intelligence is if you can explain a complex thing very clearly to a child. That's when you know. 
So um, you have a couple explanations, one for you who are verbal and one for you who are visual, okay? So the verbal one first, which is, there's only one story in scripture, big fat book, and there's only one story. And the only story is, God wants all his children home again. So you have a little longer explanation there, four or five lines from Marcus Borg. But it's basically like this. The Lord made us because he loves us, and we got lost, and he's spending time finding us, and someday he'd like to have you home again. That's the only story in Scripture. Every story in Scripture is that story. You're lost, and the Lord is coming to find you. That's all there is. Now, we have to sort of get this on the right terms, right? So... Uh, you have then um, exhibit A, right? Which I love. And I have actually, somebody sent me this picture, but I've actually seen this in Wheaton. I'm driving to school one day. There's a raccoon by the road, and somebody has stopped. Who does this? I want to meet him and actually spend Thanksgiving with him. And they put a balloon on the, you know, and says, get well soon. Okay? You're like, yeah, that's the people I want to hang out with. Uh, there's a couple things about that. One is, that's you. And that's me, right? Hey, if you could get well soon, you'd get well soon. This is like the tragic, you know, kind of Wheaton-esque mistake. Uh, I've had it happen to people, even in the congregation. They're, they're well-meaning um, Wheaton Christian friends come to, to them in the hospital and say things like, if you just had more faith, you'd be healed. Or if you, if you were just a better person. Or there must be some sin you've got going. Or when people are depressed and you just say, cheer up. Hey, let me just tell you, if people could cheer up, they'd cheer up. Okay? So this is uh, basic Lutheran stuff. Uh, get well soon. You should have a Bible. Oh, we didn't put the Bibles out because we presume you've got it memorized. Uh, you could look on your phone if you want. We're going to Ephesians 2. Okay? Don't worry, you guys, don't work too hard. Don't work too hard. You're all volunteer, and I'm grateful to you. But if you can go to uh, Ephesians 2, that would be good for you. Right? If you need a Bible, they're in the corners. You can grab one off the... You can grab a Bible. We, we meant to put a Bible and catechism out. By the way, um, if you need a Bible or a catechism, just take one home today. You can steal them. They're, they're, that's good. We turn a blind eye to that. They're, it's, just like, it's just like, you know, uh, Louis Vuitton bags in the city. You just walk in and walk out and nobody bothers you. It's great. So just take them, okay? Just checking to see if you watch the news. All right. Uh, you got it? So Ephesians 2. So if you don't know where Ephesians is, have somebody help you. It's about three-eighths of an inch, maybe half an inch from the back cover, Right? So Galatians, Ephesians, see if you got, see if you can find that. Which, and this is going to be, uh, Ephesians 2 is the explanation. It's the, so if you're visual, this is all you need to know, right? We can't fix it ourselves. But if you're um, verbal, here we go. So <clears throat> um, I'm going to just, I'm going to give you a little interpretation, but just because I'm starting in the middle of a book, right? So Ephesians 2, 1. Jesus made you alive, right? And you, he made alive. Jesus made you alive. So Jesus resurrected you, right? When you were dead through your trespasses and sins. So uh, let's see. We'll see if this works. So here's you. And the technical Greek word here is nekros. Now you know this from like uh, necrophobia. Halloween coming up, fear of the dead or fear of dead things. But this word nekros actually means, in Greek, what's on that picture. Nekros means roadkill. Nekros means, this is true now, rigor mortis is set in. Your limbs are stiff, there's juice coming out of your mouth. If we poked you with a stick, bugs would come out, you'd smell. That You got it? This is what the word means. This is nekros. This is the technical Greek definition. Now, here's the thing. That makes the whole notion of I'll fix my own sins or I'll decide for Christ or I'll work this out on my own or I'm a good boy. Yeah, none of that. You're just, you're just playing on the wrong field, right? 
because you were necros in your trespasses and sins. So your sins kill you. I once had a guy come in for confession, and uh, he was struggling with something uh, desperate. And then, you know, we talked and talked and talked. And then at the end, he says to me, so what you're telling me is that my sins just aren't good for me. I'm like, yeah, that pretty much sums it up, right? I mean, what I'm telling you is your sins aren't good for you, right? If you've got them, you should lose them. Tomorrow, you can come to the Eucharist, and you can just sort of drop them over the rail. And then pastors are like those guys at the end of the parade with the bucket and the shovel and the broom, and they just clean that up, and they know where to take it. So, you know, if you've got sins, you should drop them off here tomorrow. We we, uh, recycle. So you, Jesus, made you alive. Notice the passive verb. Jesus did it to you. Now here's the thing about dead people. It's fabulous. Because only dead people can be resurrected. If you're still partway alive, or if you're halfway there, or you think if you just prop it up and put ice on it for a while, it'll work out, yeah, then you don't need resurrection. The only people who can be resurrected are the dead. So if you're dead, Jesus is the Savior for you, and this is the place for you. This is the only thing we do, right? You can say it a thousand ways. We're lost, and then we're found. We're dead, and then we're made alive. We're sinful, and then we're forgiven, right? We're broken, and then we're healed. We're horrible, and then we're made holy. There's only one story. It's the same story over and over again. Jesus made you alive. That's what he does to you. So, you he made alive when you were dead through your trespasses and sins. Now, of course, in which you once walked. Of course, you have to be a little more sophisticated here, but since you've all watched Walking Dead, you know exactly what he's talking about. Most people you meet are zombies. They go through the motions of life and yet have no life in them. Right? It's like when I used to go to my Aunt Irene's house and they, oh, this is an Iowa thing. Unless you're from Iowa, you won't understand this. Plus, there are vegans in the crowd. Now, anyway, I've only got so many stories. So my Aunt Irene would cut the chickens' heads off and then she'd set them down to grab the next one, but the chickens would keep running. Have you seen this? You need to go to, you've grown up in Iowa. That's good. So, so the thing is, I mean, you kind of go... Just think about that next time you order chicken nuggets, okay? Uh, Or don't. Your choice. But, you know, people wander around. They look like they're alive, but really, yeah, no, they're dead. So, if you touch sinful things, that'll kill you. And you can wander around a bit following, now look how this elevates, following the course of the air, or following the course of the world. So the world is a false way following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, right? The prince of this world, right? The spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Yeah, I mean, you're dead, and, you know, you're dead in a way that you can still follow after things that are horrible. But you don't know anything about holiness, and you don't know anything about resurrection. You don't know anything about the Holy Trinity. You don't know anything about Jesus or true life. You're always going to be miserable. You're always going to be restless. You're always going to be unfulfilled. You're always going to feel like... You don't quite see what's going on. And you can't quite hear. Because everything you've got is messed up enough to kill you. Right? Among these, we once lived in the passions of our flesh. So, by the way, don't think you're better than anybody else. Because we were all like that. Following the desires of body and mind. And so we were by nature. For you Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate folks, there's original sin. We were by nature... Children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. So we're just like everybody else, which is why there can't be such a thing as Christian pride. Because you got nothing and you give nothing. All you have is what Jesus has given you. So Christians, are, you know, sometimes you hear the criticism of the church like they think they're better than everybody else. Sometimes people do act that way. You should never act that way because we are nothing but given to. We live only by the gifts, Right? But our God, who is rich in mercy. So mercy is love that's touched to misery. 
So the Lord looks at you at your wounds, and then he lovingly touches you. This happens over and over again. The gospel for Thanksgiving, the ten lepers, blind Bartimaeus, the man where he spits and rubs his eyes and then he can see. The boy at Nain where he lifts him up. You'll notice there's touch involved in all these things. So pay attention because later I'm going to tell you that the gospel in one word is touch. Okay? Which may not be a way you've heard it before, but the gospel is touch. Physical, incarnational, born in a manger, died on a cross, raised on Easter morning, touch. And the only way that you'll ever live is if Jesus touches you. You see how easy this is? So, God who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, hey, there's just one story in scripture, he made us, he loved us, he made us, we wandered away, he's coming for us in love. Even when we were dead by our trespasses, he resurrected us together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So tomorrow at the Eucharist, we will swing incense. Why? Because it makes Jesus happy. You know, of course, the incense, the recipes in the Old Testament. In, in the Old Testament, in Exodus, like 32, while they're doing all the things for the church, the Lord gives a recipe for incense and says, make it just like this. This makes me happy. Heaven should have, or he, he says, he says um, the temple, the tabernacle, should have a smell. It's like my mother-in-law. She wore the same perfume for 30 years. We said of her what we could said of the high priest. You could smell her before you could see her. <laughs> so, why, why do you have, why do you use incense? Because one, Jesus asked us to. Two, he gave us the recipe. Three, interestingly, he said, when you look at the recipe in Exodus, it says, never use this at home. Only to be used in church. Because God has a smell. Touch on your nose. And if you use it at home, you're out of Israel. Isn't that crazy? So why do we use incense? Because Jesus likes it. And he gave us a recipe. And in Isaiah 6, we learned that heaven is filled. You, you've read that story. And they, I, Isaiah goes to heaven and then they, they say... It was filled with smoke. You're like, smoke? What, like a barbecue? No, it's filled with incense. Just like Revelation um, 5.8 and 8.5. When we pray tomorrow, we release the incense in heaven. They're like, ah, oh, they're praying again in Wheaton. We should pay attention, right? You're raised up to heavenly places tomorrow with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Pause. One thing I forgot to say. You can think about this whole course as explaining what happens to you on Sunday morning. Many of you didn't grow up in any sort of liturgy, even if you grew up in the Missouri Synod. And yet for 2,000 years, the church in its wisdom decided this is the best way to care for you. And there is no pastor on earth, certainly not me or the guys I work with, who is better than 2,000 years of church history, 52 Sundays a year. So we do what's been given to us because it changes people. It makes great Christians. It consoles them. It forgives them. It heals them. Right? And repetition, contrary to the people who get bored with it, is the ultimate uh, delivering discipline. Uh, when you've said the Jesus prayer, you know, 10,000 times a day, or when you've said the Our Father a hundred times, you can either be dead bored with that and not pay attention, or it can be the greatest experience of your life. And sometimes you only know it by doing it. Anyway, this whole deal, everything we're doing on Saturdays, we're not going through, as you can tell already, if you've got a catechism. The first thing in the catechism is baptism, but the first thing in the liturgy is baptism. So we're explaining to you ex experientially what's happening to you. What's happening to you is God puts his name on you, and that changes everything. You are dead, you're made alive. You come back to life. Do you have a question there, Mr. Rumsey, or no? Sorry, I just got out of... Or were you Russian? Maybe you're Russian, but like, that makes me nervous, too, if you're Russian at me. Yeah. Although, if your kids rush at me, you should know. You shouldn't chase them up there. If your kids rush up to the altar, which has happened two or three times since we've been here, 
the penalty or the reward is they get to sit on my lap for the rest of the service. It's going to be great. <laughs> Send them along. It's going to be fabulous, okay? So, uh, sometimes this happens because we, I mean, we basically, you know, have, now it's a little weird now because COVID goofed everything up, but, you know, we have free-range children here. We basically, on the front right where the Zellers sit, and now their kids are older, but we don't have to do this, but we basically put up orange snow fence and we just dump Cheerios on the floor and let the kids do what they want. It works out. But occasionally one of them gets loose and rushes to the front. And if that happens, you know, don't worry. Every once in a while you have this horrified look. A mother, like, starts running after a child. And they're like, I should run after him, but it's going to be embarrassing for two of us rather than one of us, so maybe I should let him go, but no, that's going to blow everything up. It's not going to blow everything up. Whatever happens when your kid gets to the altar, that's going to happen. It's going to be fine. I'm not kidding. It'll be great. So... He made us alive, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and made us sit with him in heavenly places that in the coming ages, like forever and ever, he might show us, here's the description of heaven, he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. So heaven is where grace just continually increases and one day is better than the last. And, you know, things just grow warmer and brighter and richer and better. For grace, you've been saved through faith. You didn't do it. It's not your doing. It's a gift of God. Not works, so don't boast. And then 10, which is, you could sum up this whole deal, right? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, which is God knows what's good and what's not good that we should walk in them. And so the early Christians were known as those of the way. This is the way you walk home, big W, right? So the single thing I want to say there is that you contribute nothing. I contribute nothing. We are nothing but given to. We are resurrected, um, like that raccoon. But once resurrected, we are created for good works. We're meant to walk in the way. We're meant to do good. We're meant to live in holiness. We're meant to have a little bit of heaven on earth. We're meant to expect our death and rejoice in it. We're meant to have All Saints Day and say, these are those who have gone before us. Isn't that fabulous, right? So just this simple thing. Now, you would think, it, you would think it's so simple. But this is the, the whole Reformation is fought in this single point. The whole Reformation is fought on a single point. Do, does God do everything, or does he just do part of it and I do the balance? This is just one thing. Without that, there wouldn't have been a Reformation. right? So it's the first thing, but it's the most important thing. How are you doing so far? Are you okay? I don't know if this is new, old, or indifferent to you, but you still okay? You sure? Because if you don't talk, I go faster. Okay? <laughs> are you really sure? All right, then spin to Romans 6, and I'm going to try to convince you that the gospel is touch. Right? Romans 6 would be to your left in your Bible, but not very far. It would be to your left about 60 pages. Right? Now, now it'll get a little, little bit more, uh, this will be a little bit more difficult depending on... Um, you know, where you grew up and all this. But this is, Romans 6 is one of the, I mean, this is one of the great passages in Scripture. This is, this is, this is just so fabulous, right? Hey, what do we say? So Paul's been through all this stuff, Romans 1, about sinners and, you know, being dead and God being patient and why can't you shape up and here we go and this is the gift and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he's kind of, you know, he's kind of spun out. And then he's like, what else is there to say? And then you kind of say, well, there must be more because he's not even halfway through Romans. But, you know, what else is there to say? Okay, here's something else to say. This is about how the gospel gets on you. I have a friend who, husband liked to camp. Her husband likes to camp, uh, but she doesn't like to camp. She, she said once, I said, why don't you like to camp? She said, I like nature. I just don't like it if nature gets on me. <laughs> See? And this is, uh, you know... There's lots of people who feel this way. Okay, well, this is where Jesus gets on you. What shall we say? 
are we just going to keep sinning so that grace can abound? So one way you could think about this is, hey, if Jesus forgives me, um, I'll just keep sinning. This is a little like your kid when you say, they get to be out about six and you say, look both ways when you cross the street. And then they say to you, why, if I get killed, hit by a car and killed, I'm going to heaven. Then you have to reassess all your parenting. So, uh, right? I mean, this is, you could, sometimes people can draw the wrong conclusions about things, right? So, um, you know, what, what are we going to do? We're just going to keep sinning? No, I mean, you can't touch sinful things all the time. You touch holy things. So that is, by the way, the sum of the Christian life in four words or six. Touch holy things. Don't touch evil things. Touch holy, don't touch evil. Five words or less. It's Romans 12.1. Abhor evil or flee evil, touch good. So if you need to know how to go through life, what the way is, what the Christian way is, what it means to be resurrected, you're dead, you're made alive, the rest of your life is very simple. Touch good, don't touch evil. There in five words, that's your entire life. Touch good, baptism, Eucharist, absolution, scripture, love, family, fidelity, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, honor your parents, come to church, tithe, don't envy, touch good, don't touch evil. This is all really simple, right? You were dead, now you're alive. You're alive, touch good. This cannot be easier. I don't know why it took my grandmother so long. 464 questions, come on. Anyway, um, how can we who've died to sin still live in it? Now, this is very important. Note this, like, where you live, right? This is going to be important. And in it, that's a preposition of location. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. We're going to test your uh, grammar here. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Okay, this is really important. So, oh my, what happened? Try again. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, a little bit more, let's see if I can do that, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Now, this is extraordinarily important. Um, it's not as true as English, but it's true in Greek. There are prepositions of motion and prepositions of location. So, watch this. This is like big time St. John, PhD, full pastoral staff stuff. Watch this. I'm in... I'm out. With me? I'm in. I'm out. Can I come in? No. I'm in. I'm out. I come into. And now I'm in. Into means you're moving. In means you're there. Preposition of motion. Preposition of location. Okay? Terribly important. And this will keep you from making mistakes later. So what does the text say? It's like people always want to read the text. Great, read the text. Don't you know, everybody knows this, when Paul says don't you know, later he's going to say in 1 Corinthians about the Holy Supper, don't you know, everybody knows, the the bread which we break is the body of Christ. The, the, The cup which we drink is the blood of Christ. Don't you know, everybody knows this. This is like, I told you this. Like, you got this in the catechumenate. You should, we shouldn't have to, come on, everybody knows, right? Okay, so that's what he's doing here. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized, and it's really important, passive verb, have been baptized, which means somebody does it to you. When you come to baptism, just sit there, right? And you do have your choice of sitting under the water or above the water, your choice. Pastor Nelson is on contract to dunk anybody who wants to go full under. He thinks it's fun. He's weird. This is how weird he is. He drove to Arcadia in a van by himself with 11 kids. That's just dumb, D-U-M. So anyway, when you come to baptism, we'll let you know. You're just like, you're right there, and at some point, you're going under the water, and then at some point, you're going to be all new. It's going to be fabulous. Right? It's done to you. You don't baptize yourself. 
You don't wash yourself up. You don't fix yourself. It's a passive verb. Somebody else does it to you. Right? Don't you know that you were baptized into Christ Jesus? You were baptized into Jesus. So into Christ Jesus means, into means, if I could do this if I was young enough, it would mean that we'd pick him up here and then we'd carry him over here. That's what it means. So it means when you watch somebody be baptized, they're actually being moved from one location to another. What are the locations? What do you say? Where were you? Dead. Sin. Death. When I taught confirmation, it was so fun. I used to have a designated swearer in confirmation. It was great. Like this. Hell. Damn. So they'd be like, where were you before? Ready, go. Damn. Come on. Damn, damn. <laughs> we never went farther. But anyway. <laughs> right? So, you know, uh, where were you? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were necros. You were damned. You were in hell. You were in a location. Right? And then what happens? You've seen the great icon of Easter where Jesus is breaking open the door of hell and pulling Adam and Eve out. Right? What's he doing? He's going to get them. He breaks down the door, he picks them up, and he's going to move them over to another place. You were in hell, now you're in heaven. You were in sin, now you're in holiness. You were dead, now you're alive. You were broken, now you're healed. This is what happens in baptism. All of this stuff. And you don't do it to yourself. Jesus does it to you. You're completely passive. You're nothing but given to We just read it in Ephesians. By grace, through faith, as gift. So what Jesus does is he picks you up and he moves you into Christ. Now, in 2 Corinthians, in Christ becomes the new code word for being in the church. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come, right? So in Christ or in the body of Christ, that means you're baptized. That means Jesus was looking for you and he found you and he picked you up and he moved you and you were dead and now you're alive and let's go, right? Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created for good works, right? Determined from beforehand, from forever, we are meant for holiness. And you, you know, the thing is, we could sort of quit after today, and maybe that would be okay, but you've got the whole shot already. Everything else that's said is just going to be a reinforcement or a repetition or another gift, which is, you were dead, now you're alive, let's go. Touch holy things, don't evil, don't backslide, don't move back, don't go to evil, keep going, right? So, um, don't you know that you were baptized... Uh, into his death. So you've got his death. And don't you know uh, that we were buried? So you were buried with him. You were dead with him. So that as Christ was raised from the dead, you were raised with him by the glory of the Father. You get the Father's glory. We too might walk in the newness of life. There's the entire Christian life in one verse. And so Easter Vigil, if you come to Easter Vigil here, what is Easter Vigil? There's a single thing that we say at Easter Vigil. These stories are your stories. Dr. Byans did such a great job last week, especially with, I mean, it's, I mean, it's my death text. I want whoever preaches to preach from the three men in the fiery furnace. That's a beautiful text, right? Right? You were, there are three men, but they're moving around, and there's a fourth man. Who is that? Yeah, Jesus in the fire with you. So Easter Vigil is just a story about these stories are your stories. Adam was created and recreated. You're recreated. Israel went through the Red Sea. You went through the Red Sea. The three men were in the fiery furnace. You go in the fiery furnace. These stories are your... If it happened to Jesus, it happened to you. Jesus was dead on the cross and raised. You were dead on the cross and raised. It's a simple thing, right? But it changes everything. So when you are baptized, you get Jesus... Death, burial, rest, 
resurrection, glory, which means holiness, heavenly holiness. Glory technically is when the holiness of heaven comes to earth. So you get holiness and new life. You get the entire package when the pastor says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everything happens there. You are resurrected. We were just in Greece, and we were at uh, Philippi, and the guide who was a very dear Orthodox woman just casually said, our children are named at baptism. Before they're named, they don't exist. You're kind of like, that's right. Before you're named, you don't exist. Carol, what's your last name? Crager is what you got at the hospital when you were born. Carol is the name that you got when you were baptized. When we pray for you at the altar, so tend this tomorrow, we don't pray for Kel Krieger. Do you say Krieger or Krieger? Krieger. Krieger. Kel Krieger. Because Jesus doesn't know you by that name. He knows you by the name Carol. So you'll notice tomorrow we pray by first names only. And we also pray in eights, if you've been paying attention. Why do we pray in eights? Anybody know? Because Easter is on the eighth day. And if you, we want you to heal up, we want you to heal up in an eight-day sort of way. You'll notice that the altar has eight sides around it, and the font has eight bursts around it, right? There are eights everywhere in there. There's a, there'll be a quiz later for cash prizes. <laughs> yes, G. So I, I am with you with the baptism thing. Yeah. Right? But I, so I'm going to think aloud a little bit. Uh, why do people like say they choose Jesus? Or, like, yeah. Where does that matter? Yeah. The reason they say that is because they never got this for Christmas, right? <laughs> um, every year. Yeah, I've said this so many times. Someday I'm getting uninvited, although I am on the docket for November 30th. Every year I give a lecture in the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College about why you can't decide for Christ. All right. So uh, someday somebody's going to listen to this, and then I'm not. But they had the mistake of one day I gave this lecture. I give it in a large class of comparative religion. And one day it was students visiting day with their parents. And I'm like, uh-oh, this is not going to go well. Because <laughs> it was the whole class, and then the visiting students, and then their parents. I mean, it was so full people are standing all around, right? And then, you know, I get to this point, you know, big finish. Just the question you ask, you do nothing, Jesus does everything. And this marvelous young woman in the back raises her hands. I said, yes. I said, she said, do you mean to tell me that baptism actually does something to me? I said, yes, it does. It saves you. And when you get to heaven, just say, I'm baptized. I'll let you right in. Her eyes went like on cartoons, rolling like shutters. Her eyes rolled back in her head, and all the parents were like, we're going to Carthage. And then, uh, you know, you kind of, you know, so yeah, why do people think it? So there's, there's a couple of possibilities. There's a couple of good possibilities, right? One is they just, they just, nobody ever told them. They never saw the picture, or they never read Ephesians 2. And they didn't know that necros really means... I mean, necros means the flesh is rotting off your bones. You're not going to wake up, right? So that's one possibility. And what's best is people who say this are all, almost always of an evangelical ilk, or a Bible church or Baptist ilk, who say they take the scriptures very seriously, right? And I always say when I'm done, I'm like, hey, you all are taking the scripture seriously, so let's read some scripture, which is always a dangerous thing to do with Christians, as you know. So, you know, so why, they've never heard it before, or I'll just say they're slightly mixed up. And that's the more generous way to say it, which is what it feels like is, I say to you, hey, gee, you're a bad sinner, but Jesus really loves you. Come on, let's play. Fabulous, I'll play. You think you did something, right? No, what actually happens, you know, third article, Explanation of the Creed, small catechism. I believe, I can't believe. You Lutherans recognize that, right? I believe that I cannot by my own reason strength believe. I believe I can't believe. What a crazy thing to say. So what's really happening to you? When I say to you, gee, you're a horrible sinner, 
But Jesus has been looking for you a long time and he really wants you home. What's happened is the Holy Spirit is flying across sound waves and going right into your ear, touching your eardrum, and then it like hits your esophagus, goes down to your heart, and everything explodes. Jesus loves me. And the Holy Spirit is like inviting his friends in and saying prayers for you and putting a couple angels around you. And then you say, look at all I did. And the Holy Spirit's like, oh, we'll work on that later. Okay? So what's happening is that the Holy Spirit has just resurrected you, right? So I spent all my time telling you that you're resurrected this morning by water touching you. Here's the thing. You can also get resurrected through your ear or you can get resurrected through your skin, right? There's all kinds of ways. Same Jesus. He just, you get it all different ways. But people just misunderstand what just happened, right? What happened is, so the proper response is, um, I don't have time to tell you my hot tub in Hawaii story, but someday I will. The proper response is, I was in a hot tub in Hawaii with a guy like you. That's a good story. That's a good story. It's just like this. I'm like this, a curvy eye vacation. I'm like, I'm sitting in a hot tub like this, like this. And then suddenly, like, I'm feeling like this. I'm like, okay, you know. But then I didn't feel it. I'm like, okay, I just kept my eyes closed. And then suddenly I'm like, suddenly I'm feeling this. Sorry, I hardly know you. And uh, I'm like, okay. So I open my eyes, and this guy is floating face down in my lap. He's drowned in the hot tub. Right next to me. I mean, I'm on vacation. How inconsiderate is this? So, uh, little Joe, just testing you. So, uh, he's a big guy. You know, I pulled him out, like, and called the, you know, and like, you know, and he actually lived. It turned out he was epileptic. He shouldn't have been in the hot tub. He was with his family. But later in the night, I mean, I never really heard, but later in the night, we just happened to be in our room. This is like when you had a hotel phone. So his dad called me, weeping, and just said, thank you. That was the extent of the conversation. You kind of go, perfect. So what you should say, you've been lost. Jesus found you. He loves you. He forgives you. Come on home. Let's play. This is going to be fabulous. The proper response isn't, look what I did. The proper response is, thank you very much. I'll have some more, please. Right? But it's a misunderstanding. And so, you know, these are the sorts of things, uh, if you're Lutheran, if you grew up Lutheran, um, come on. We were born in a fist fight. Well, the Reformation was a fist fight. I mean, the Lutheran Church split when I was between 7th and 8th grade. It's been a fist fight my entire life, right? And so we're used to sort of like, let's go, right? However, my suggestion to you would be, join St. John and calm down. Because it's not necessary, right? There are going to be all kinds of people in heaven, and they're going to have all kinds of ideas, and the Lord is going to sort them out. But for you, uh, what you want to do is you want to be as, as true as you can be, right? So if you start with these very basic things, I'm dead, and now I'm alive. How did that happen? Jesus did it to me. In fact, next week, if you come back, we have one of those paddle things in here, right outside the door. You know, you shock. We're going to bring that in here, and you can shock each other just to make the point. Clear! <laughs> They're right outside. We can use them. We're going to use them. It's going to be great. It's just, you know, you're, what you're teaching, you're supposed to be engaged with people, right? You're supposed to show them what has to happen, right? So, you know, you can, people come early, I guess they can use the paddles, and people come later, they can receive. So, uh, but anyway, let's see, this is a great question. And so, for you then to kind of understand it, one, be able to explain it really easily, um, and then just kind of relax, and let, we always think we have to sort things out. Just, it's all going to be okay, right? So it's a misunderstanding. It's a misunderstanding. And it doesn't take seriously the notion that we're actually necros, right? If you actually think of, just think of one example. The guy I gave you an example, he was close enough that he could be brought back. He was dead, but he could be brought back. But, you know, when the flesh is off the bones, it's hard for anybody to say, didn't I do a good job, right? Make sense? Good question. Thanks for being brave enough to ask. Anything else you want to ask about while we're paused? Yes, sir. What's their baptism that they've chosen to do? Yeah. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. Is the same as ours. Nice. So, you be me, which is my favorite game. Already, the first week, we're at you be me. Good. So, um, what do I do as a pastor if somebody here wants to join in there in the Baptist church or 
or they were Mormon, or they were the parents were I've had in a cult somewhere, or, 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 or. So what's the question I should ask? You've actually already answered this. But what? Yes, and what? And then tell me what a baptism is. Go ahead. Tell me, what do you need? Water, good, and a victim. Good. One, two, three. Now the problem is, of course, in our generation, um, people have changed up the names, so you can get baptized creator, redeemer, sustainer, or butcher, baker, candlestick maker, right? So part of the problem is, is, and I get this all the time, when sometimes when somebody here marries a Catholic, I get a letter from the bishop that says, was this person baptized with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I'm always happy to write back and say to the bishop, thanks for being a good guy, right? So you're right, just because people don't know what's happening, Still happens. But the other side of it is, so now we're going to, like the advanced courses, but no one should be left in doubt. So here's a weird thing. Um, sometimes we might baptize, and sometimes we might not. But Luther, no one should be left in doubt. Right? So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, two stories. Luther wakes up one morning. True, this is a true story. Wakes up one morning, and there's a, there's a baby uh, in a basket on his front step. Um, I don't remember if it's a house or the church, but in any case, there's a, there's a note in, with the baby, and it says, um, I, gave, I gave birth, I baptized him, but I can't care for him. I know you will. Like that, right? Now, you be Luther, which is more fun than even being you be me. What do you do? Do you baptize that child or not? I don't know if I trust the Lutheran. Nice! You are a Lutheran. So... <laughs> Because we're trusting no one. (laughs) It's exactly what Luther said. No one should be left in doubt. He said, this is a mother who gave birth to a child on her own. What what do do we know, right? Maybe she did, maybe she didn't. Maybe she got it right, maybe she didn't, right? So he's like, "We'll, we'll, we'll baptize this child and let the Lord sort it out. Nice, right? See, this, and this is how you do theology and pastoral practice. It's just like all your other jobs. Whatever you do, your job boils down to you have a few simple things that guide you, and you have to figure that out in the troubles that come to you, right? So, yeah, there you go. So what do we say to people? We're nice to them. And what do we um, do? We try to figure it out. Was there water? Was there the holy name? Um, who did it? Right? And why? Was there emergency or not? Then were there any witnesses? Right? Once a woman said she was baptized, but she had no baptismal certificate. She was actually from Indonesia. And we sort of said, yeah, we're not sure. And she wasn't sure what the church was, but she sort of... Then suddenly, somebody produced for her a picture of the water going on her. We're like, all right, close enough for us. Right? Nice. Other questions just about this? Yes, Mr. Zeller. What is the harm, like in, that, in the case that we're putting in, Yes, good. So what's the harm in doing it a second time? Um, I'm going to try to rephrase the question a little bit. So at, tomorrow in the Creed, you're going to say, one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And that was done because people were doing it over and over again. Uh, uh, or getting it here and getting it there, right? So one baptism. Because next week when we do the words of baptism, you'll see, I know you'll pick this up. It's an aorist verb, which means you're supposed to do it just one time, and then it's good to go. Yeah, so um, so we're respectful of the scriptures, Jesus' institution, and the creed, which say one time. But when you get beyond that, then you have to start to weigh things, right? So you don't want everybody, somebody, um, somebody comes here, they're 20 years old, we say we're not going to do it. The rest of their life, they go to bed every night wondering if they were really baptized. That's not so helpful. On the other hand, just, just so you know, pastors never create doubt in people. Are you sure your baptism was good? Are you sure? I mean, a good pastor never digs for dirt, never creates doubt, always provides certainty, right? So the harm partly is, usually a second baptism comes when people go somewhere and then somebody says to them, baptize as a baby? You didn't make any decisions. You weren't active. You didn't show God anything. You didn't do anything. 
we got to get this right. We're going to do it again. Right? Kind of go, the text, the text, read the text, the text. Neck gross. Water. This is easy, right? Uh, so you, you need to be careful. The, and the other thing, just to clean up the language, not, not that you, but to, there isn't any second baptism. There's just a baptism. So the simple question is, was there a baptism or wasn't there a baptism? Mr. Luther says, no baptism as far as I know, then we baptize, right? But we don't, um, you know, we don't rattle people. And if they get their lines wrong or need a little time to grow into it, then we kind of help them with the distinction between active and passive verbs. And um, resurrection can only is only for the dead. You see all the tools you've got already? Like you've got five or ten sentences, you could make your life through 92% of the theological arguments you're ever going to have. Right? Just with just some kind of basic stuff, right? We're dead and we're alive. There's only one story in Scripture. The gospel is touch. Oh, by the way, you didn't see how the gospel is touch, right? So we often make this distinction between word and sacrament, which is a distinction without a difference. Because we're smarter now. Because if you could really see what's happening now, you could see my um, vocal cords rattling and pushing along the air molecules and the waves going through. And then suddenly they take a left turn and go right into G's ear. Ping! Right? And it rattles and that shoots electric up to her brain and faith down to her heart. And that's touch. So the distinction between word and sacrament is, um, yeah, I get it, but it actually is not quite the same because what happens is you get people banging on the notion that only spoken words are the big deal. And you're like, there's no difference between spoken word and water splashed and bread and wine that are changed to body and blood. Same time, same thing, same. And you're saved by all of them with touch. Got it? How are we doing? You doing okay? You probably about had enough, which is understandable, right? Um, let's just finish this bit right here. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we should be certainly united with him in a resurrection like his. We know our old self was crucified. Jesus' story is my story. So that the sinful body might be destroyed and we're no longer enslaved to sin. That's the beautiful thing. That sin is crucified in you. So it, your sins are taken away. And the only way that they can hurt you is if you take them back. Tomorrow in the absolution, the pastor is going to take away your sins. He's going to reach out, right? Reach out and he's going to grab them from you. He's going to take them away you'd be a fool to take them back. Don't touch evil things. Right? So, here it is, right here. Um, we know that our old self was crucified, so that our sinful body might be destroyed. Those sins are taken away, they're destroyed, and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So when you're baptized, you die, and you rise. That's why Luther preferred to dunk people. To make clear, you drown them, then you pull them up, and they're a new person. Sin stays in the water, right? But if we died with Christ, we believe we'll live with him. For we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him or over us. So if you're baptized, you've already had your big death. When, you, you know, when cancer gets the best to you and you're drawing your last breath, you don't have to say, oh, now what? You say to yourself, this is just the little death. I had my big death back in the font. The big death is in the font. That's where your sins go away. Your little death is just stepping over the threshold to go to heaven. For we know that Christ raised from the dead won't die again. Death doesn't have dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But he lives to God. So you also consider yourselves, and now the word is used again, necros. Consider yourself necros to sin. So incapable of being able to sin. Consider yourself incapable of sinning. Dead to sin and alive, resurrected to Christ. How's that? Pretty good, right? This is why if you're not baptized, um, you should get baptized. And you should bring your kids to baptism. It's the kindest thing you can do. So, all right. That's a lot of theory. We'll talk about... Um, practical things if you want. Just any questions just to wrap up?
Okay, a couple of things. Uh, we're a church. What does that mean? It means a couple of things. It means that people stack things on any flat surface. If they have an old couch, they bring it here and put it in a room at a time when nobody else knows who did it or why. And old food gathers in refrigerators, right? Because we're a church. In order to avoid this, here's what we're doing. When you go out, there'll be a left turn. Tell me there are going to be some Ziploc bags out there. Take everything. Do not leave anything, not even the yogurt, which has already died and come back to life. So, you know, <laughs> there's donuts, there's jelly, there's juice. If you're a poor student, my advice is to slip out now during For Thine is the Kingdom. That would be your, like, I would go then, right? Don't leave any food here and don't bring your couch here and never stack anything on a flat surface. That's the true mark of a dark heart. So, uh, but otherwise, uh, come back next week about 8.30. We'll do the same drill, but please come and have a little coffee, get some breakfast, meet a new friend. We need to make, your kids need to meet other kids. You need to make, we got to make a big place feel like a small place. You got to feel like you own this place. Um, this is yours, but you can only do that if you have time together, right? Friendship and love, only the, the only way to, to have them is if you have time. So, all right, anything? If you want to stick around, I'll stick around. If you have questions about, I know sometimes you're too shy, at least initially, maybe to like ask, okay, write it down or write me an email. You got a business card, send me, a, send me an email or write this down and just bring it back next week. And, um, we're going to play, we're going to look at the words of institution for baptism, and then we're going to play a lot of you be me, so, which is, of course, the most fun. And that, of course, tells you what to expect, right, when you come for care here. All right, good. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. Love you. Um, Stick around if you need a little help. Call us if you need us. And send us a selfie with your name and your kids too, right? So that we can learn everybody's name, especially your kids' names. Thanks.